0: The scripture this morning comes from Matthew 6:19 through 34. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there your heart will be also. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his splendor was not dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, Will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ.
1: For those of you who are following along carefully in this series, you may wonder why I chose that passage of Scripture to uh, emphasize the Eighth Commandment, which is do not steal. We'll get to that later. Let me begin this way. Well, not that way. (laughs) I remember the first time I stole something. Now, I'm sure it really wasn't the first time. Uh, I'm certain that along the way I had stolen cookies from my brothers or something like that. But I remember this one in particular. I don't know how old I was, but I was old enough to be influenced by kids I was running around with who were older than me. And we were at a little grocery store that we frequented, and I stole some penny candy. Now, you know, there's hardly anything like penny candy anymore. Um, you can't do that. But you could, you could buy a piece of candy just for one penny or depending on the candy, maybe for two or five cents. I'll never forget when it happened because the kids who were older than me said, yeah, you can do this. It's, it's really cool. Just uh, when we walk in, we'll kind of like get his attention, the store clerk, because there was only one there. And you just reach down and grab it, stick it in your pocket, and walk out. It's, it's great. You get free candy. And I remember thinking to myself, why should I do this? Oh, it's cool, so I will. So they got the attention of the store clerk, and I grabbed a pe- couple pieces of candy. I think it was actually only one, and I stuck it in my pocket and walked out. With a sense of great accomplishment... And a sense of overwhelming guilt. See, I didn't need the candy. We had candy at home. I don't think I even wanted the candy. um, Because we didn't go to the store thinking to ourselves, we're going to get some candy. I just wanted to steal it, apparently. Apparently. And it belonged to someone else. And that's what bothered me so deeply. I was quite young and still had a conscience, so I went home after consuming the penny candy, which didn't taste near as good as the kind that I'd bought in the past, even though it was the same. And that night, I couldn't, I couldn't take it any longer, and I, I, I woke my father and I told him I stole some candy at the store. And he said how much and whatever it was, I don't remember the amount, a penny or two. He said, well, here's your penny or two. And I want you to go back down to the store and tell Mr. So-and-so that you stole some candy and you want to repay him for it. So I went back to the store. I was shaken all over. And I told Mr. So-and-so that I'd stole his candy and, and I paid him back his one or two pennies. I don't remember him saying, Oh, Bobby, that's okay, don't worry about it. I just remember this stern face, and he just said, Okay, thank you. And I left. You know, when I experienced stealing, I was experiencing something at the earliest age that was the exact opposite of my God ordained design. I wasn't designed to take other people's stuff. No, my God-ordained design, even at that young age, I think I understood was to not destroy and steal, but actually to do something, to build something up. I was created, just like you, the God-ordained design to cultivate and care for the earth and for everything around us, including people. It implies creativity on your part and on mine. It implies work. It implies labor. And there's joy in it. And everything I experienced with stealing the penny candy was the exact opposite of that. I didn't work for it. I didn't build anything up and really at the end of the day I found no joy in it at all because I wasn't created for that. I was designed for something else. There's something else that is true about stealing. Uh, When you think about this commandment that God gave us, the Ten Commandments in the context of all the other laws. There's an implication in the notion of do not steal. You you might not see it immediately, but it's there. It implies that there's nothing wrong with private property. You know, sometimes we have fanciful notions about communal living and not having private property and all those kinds of things. And while there may be a great motivation behind that sort of thing, the rest of the Old Testament that gives all kinds of details of laws about how to conduct oneself in large part, relates to private property. Not altogether, but in huge measure. Speaks about private property. And this notion of not stealing assumes that certain people own certain things. And to take it from them is an act of evil or sin. So, stealing is, in effect, taking something that belongs to someone else that God has ordained for them. It's theirs. And we take it. Stealing is the exact opposite of our God-ordained design. And stealing, or the mandate against stealing, implies private property is well-ordained by God. The third thing about stealing is this. When we steal... We violate that, that earliest of commandments that was in our head when you were a child. You heard it. They often called it the golden rule. We could actually quote it, right? If I ask you, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? A principle from Scripture. Stealing, in effect, violates everything about that thing that we call the golden rule. And you know, when it violates that, what's going on inside us, we are violating something that is intuitionally bedded within our understanding of what is right. When a person steals, he's going against a universal instinct that says stealing is wrong. You don't have to have the Bible, you don't have to have American culture. You can go just about anywhere. And when you steal, you're going against a God-given conscience that you know tells you something else. There's something else about stealing that uh, is really important to, to our life. It's this. When we steal, it literally destroys our character. From the inside out, it erodes us. It makes us lazy because we didn't earn it and we took it for ourselves. It produces for us a sense of entitlement. It's out there and I'm entitled to it. And you know what it also does? It creates in us a compulsive habit. A compulsive habit that continues to feed an insatiable appetite. The stories of those who have gotten snared by stealing are stories of people who are literally out of control. We often call it kleptomaniacs. They can't help themselves. They do it once, they do it again. They do it again. It becomes a habit or a way of life. So it destroys our character by making us lazy, producing entitlement, and creates in us a compulsive habit. There's something else about stealing that I think ought to be addressed, um, and it's this. The Robin Hood syndrome is a ruse. It's not real. We like to pretend it is, but for the most part it's not. We don't steal from someone who's wealthy in order to give it to someone else who's not. Can, can I have a show of hands of people who have stolen for that reason? I know I didn't. We seem like sometimes we justify the activity of stealing with this, this notion of Robin Hood. Stealing is an absolutely self-centered, self-saturating activity. I do it for me. And what is also often true is if I allow my character to be shaped by the dishonesty of stealing, I steal from others who have more than I have. The story about King David in the Bible is very disturbing. He was a man after God's own heart, as you know. And as I referred to last week, he fell into the sin of adultery, which led to murder, which led to taking Bathsheba, this woman, as his wife. When the prophet Nathan came to David, he told a story. And the story goes like this. David, he said, there's someone in your kingdom that I need to tell you about. This person is exceedingly wealthy. Uh, They've got lots of things, which meant cattle and sheep and all kinds of things. And this person, who's exceedingly wealthy, was expecting to have a guest. When the guest arrived, instead of taking something from his flock and butchering it and serving it to his guests, he took a sheep From a poor family but you see not only was the sheep from a poor family it was the only one they had and not only was it the only one they had it was loved like it was a member of the family it was cultivated like a pet the children loved it and played with it and slept with it and this rich wealthy man stole that sheep and slaughtered it for his guest you know how the story goes David jumps up off his throne and he says, we're going to put that guy to death. That is outrageous that anyone should do such a thing. And Nathan points a finger at him and says, you're that man. David, you are guilty of stealing from someone who had nothing compared to what you have. The sin of the heart, which motivates stealing, is the kind of sin that will motivate you to steal from people that have almost nothing. There, there are stories of people who have an exceedingly high level of wealth, who routinely hit department stores just for the thrill of stealing merchandise. It's an insidious thing, this stealing. Having said that, let me refer to the passage that was read a few moments ago. The passage says, in effect, people who are listening to me, Jesus says... I don't want you to store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. I want you to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we as people made in the image of God, become guilty of some kind of theft, we are identifying for others, for ourselves, and for God, where our treasures lie. That's what I value. Um, Many years ago, um, a famous author named uh, St. Augustine wrote a book called Confessions And in that book he described as a young man um, a story that is often called the pear tree story. Augustine and some of his ruffian friends went to an orchard of a man who had pear trees and they took the pears off the trees and they just destroyed them. They threw them, they weren't hungry to eat them, they just stole them and they destroyed them. I've read Augustine for years, and I've also read many commentators who talk about Augustine. And one commentator I read one time uh, said something to this effect. What is his deal? What's his problem? Why does he fixate on this boyhood prank as if there's something deeply sinful about it? And the interpreter of Augustine, who had spent his life interpreting Augustine, in my opinion, completely missed it. Augustine could have chosen any number of other things that were evil in his life. But he chose this one. This, what seemed to be an apparent boyhood prank to demonstrate the darkness of his heart. To demonstrate that there was absolutely no good that could be found in the story. He stole from someone else what belonged to them and destroyed it. Augustine is taking that tiny little episode and saying, nothing describes my heart of wickedness better than this. If that is true then for us, how is it that we're equally guilty? How is it that we steal? Uh, One way we steal is by robbing God of what is rightly His. In the book of Malachi, the prophet speaks out against the people of Israel and says to them, you rob me. You, a human being, rob me God. And then the question goes, and how do we rob you, God? And God responds through the prophet, you rob me by not giving me my tithes and my offerings. And we think, oh, okay, so tithes and offerings, well, that's a good one. We'll use that as a sermon on tithing. And I have. Is that the point? Not really. The point is God is saying everything belongs to me, all of it. Everything belongs to me and I heap on you blessing after blessing after blessing. And you are so self-centered and self-focused that you steal from me by hoarding what I've given you instead of throwing it back in my direction as an offering of praise. You rob me that way, thieves. How else do we steal? Well, let's make it real practical. We steal sometimes from our employers by not being productive with our work. I know what I'm talking about, okay? Um, So I might not be here next week. Um, There are weeks where I steal time from the church, because I'm not as diligent with my time as I ought to be. It's robbery. I, I don't want to stay with the guilt, so just a little glimmer of hope, we won't end there. But I know I'm a thief on occasion. There's another way in which we, we steal. It's again more of a spiritual way not like stuff you put in your hands but again we we steal from god when we don't use the gifts he's given us you'll remember the story in Matthew chapter 25 about A wealthy man who left behind his servants with a measure of his wealth. And the servants were given that to be good stewards of. And two of the servants did wonderful things with the wealth of the master. They reproduced it. They invested it. They did what they could with what they'd been given. And of course, the third buried his talent or treasure in the sand and did nothing. When the master returned, he rebuked him. He said, you wicked, unfaithful, ungrateful servant. Look what I gave you. You're supposed to use it. We rob God by not using what he's given us. In effect, we take it for ourselves and use it only for us. There's another way in which we steal. And uh, when I was contemplating this, I thought, how many things could one list? And then I thought, that's their job. You know, there's multiple ways in which we're guilty of stealing. Think about them. These are only to to prompt you in that direction. We steal from others by robbing them of their joy. I'll never forget a time in my life... um, where I was struggling with some things and my children were very young and I was coming home day after day, um, grousey, is that a word, grumpy, morose, and I was uh, getting ready for bed that night. I can still remember the scene. Um, And I, I started to walk out of the bathroom into the bedroom, and my wife was walking into the bathroom. And she stopped me, and she said to me, listen to me. You've got to own the way in which your attitude robs all of us of joy. You've got children And they know what your heart is. And man, was that a rebuke that I needed to hear. My kids were living with me. And I was sucking life and joy out of them. I was robbing them of what God could give them through me. By being so self-saturated and self-centered and self-focused. That I couldn't get my act together when I came home. Now, I don't want to take that to an extreme. I know we have difficulties, and I know it's hard to put on a good face, and I know sometimes that's just being plastic. But the reality is this. I can deal with my life in such a way that it robs people of joy because I'm so self-centered, or I can deal with my life in such a way that it promotes joy for them. And I've robbed others of their joy The the last thing I want to mention about how we steal, and then I want to wrap it up with some good news, uh, is this. We steal on any number of occasions from others by denying them their dignity. I'm going to let you take that one and go somewhere with it. Every person is created in the image of God, and you can violate the dignity that is theirs. You can steal it. Be careful in your relationships with other people that you do not steal their dignity. Think about the ways in which that might be true. Okay, now the good news. The good news comes uh, from a story um, about a man called Zacchaeus. Remember that story? Um, those of you who went to Sunday school, it might have been one of your favorite stories. It was mine. Uh, I can't remember the hand motions, but it went Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Remember that song? He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. So yes, I remember. Bob Stop. Okay. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, come on down. You're going to my house for tea, I think we said. Today, today, going to my house today. So Somebody remembers the, the song better than I do. <laughs> you know what I love about that song or the story? Is that when Jesus did that, everybody said, you've got to be kidding me. We know who this character is. This is a fellow who robs us blind every day of the week. He takes more money than he ought to from us and keeps it for himself, and he's in cahoots with Rome. How could you ever go to this guy's house today? Jesus says, Come on down. Uh, We're going to have a meal. Just this week, a friend of mine sent me a quote that I just love. It's my new favorite quote. Here's the quote. It comes from a a book called True Faced. I'm going to read it twice so you get it. (laughs) When grace introduces us to repentance, the two become best friends. When anything else introduces us to repentance, it feels like the warden has come to lock us up. But when grace gets involved, the truths of repentance reveal the fabulous world of life-freeing beauty. Isn't that great? I'll read it one more time. When grace introduces us to repentance, the two, repentance and grace, they become best friends. When anything else introduces us to repentance... It feels like the warden has come to lock us up. But when grace gets involved, the truths of repentance reveal the fabulous world of life-freeing beauty. That reads to me like a description of the Zacchaeus story. Jesus walks into this guy's life as the very grace of God incarnate. And everybody around him knows who he is. And Jesus, by grace, walks into his life. And you know what happens to Zacchaeus? He does three things. Because the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ has shined the spotlight on his sin, which among other things, at the very top of it was stealing. Here's what happens to Zacchaeus. He repents. He acknowledges right there in front of Jesus and apparently in front of the others who already knew who he was, I have taken from people stuff that wasn't mine. And then he embarks on restitution. He says, you know, I know I've taken taken things from people, and because of that, I'm going to restore them. I'm going to give back to them more than I took from them. I'm going to be involved in restitution. And the third thing he does, he embarks on a life of reform. He says, I'm going to change my life. Though these are not his words to reflect the image of God that I'm called to reflect. I'm going to repent. I'm going to get involved in restitution. And I'm going to reform my life. Now let me take a guess. Here's my guess. Every one of you in some way is guilty of stealing. And every one of you in every way, has the opportunity to experience grace. Let the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ honestly this week, okay, this week, let the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ lead you to repentance. Produce acts of restitution in your life and reform you and make you who you were called to be. That'll be a wonderful week if you allow the grace of God to do that in your life. At the end of uh, our service, we were going to sing one song, Nothing But the Blood, and then, as I noticed, the last song was going to be, as you guys were walking out, It was going to be the exit song, so you wouldn't be involved in it. But I'm, I'm asking right now that we sing them both back to back because the first one, is nothing but the blood, which is all about forgiveness. The second one is, your grace is enough. Your grace is enough for me. So I'm going to pray, and then I want you to enjoy both of those songs back to back, and uh, then I'll dismiss you with the grace of God. Lord, we thank you um, that your word uh, speaks to us uh, clearly. It's so clear sometimes we struggle with how to uh, even make it come alive. because quite simply, you say, don't steal. So we ask, Lord, how is it that we steal? And we try to discover the ways in which we ought to repent and get involved in restitution for those things that we've taken in one way or another from others. And Lord, we want to reform ourselves and to be um, recreated in the image of God. So we pray this week as we walk into our world and remember our our life, that we will uh, experience the grace of uh, repentance and that we will uh, pay back those things which we should have never taken and, and will be reformed by your grace to live a new life. And we'll praise you for these things. In the name of Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.